Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, your real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Enhanced Pultec Equalizer. That sounds fine, but I'm... I don't know why, but that one threw me off. It's enhanced. Well, if you're going to have a Poltec Equalizer, you might as well be enhanced. <laughs> Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. It's the gritty reboot version of Lee. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Lee's color has become so washed out. <laughs> His dialogue's been mixed so low, I can't hear anything. So many blues and oranges for no apparent reason. You guys don't understand how hard the wisdom is going to hit. <laughs> <laughs> this wisdom's going to snap someone's neck for no discernible reason. Yes, we have a great show lined up for you. We've got some of your questions. But first, yes, we must declare what can only be described as a super villain level emergency. Oh. This falls under the category of I learned a thing and my brain doesn't know what to do with it. So now I will inflict that thing on you, the listening audience, <laughs> in the hopes of either commiserating or just spreading the psychic damage around, uh, whichever comes first. Sure. So you, dear listener, and my my fine co-host are probably familiar with the New International Version translation of the Bible. I've heard of it. Fairly common. Um, this is where things start to get weird, because you don't necessarily think of a Bible translation as having an owner, but it is a a bit of intellectual property. Someone did the translation. It's, you know, it gets used commercially. So there are commercial rights holders to the New International Version of the Bible. Interesting. Uh, in North is America, that why it costs $75 to buy one of these Bibles, Matt? Probably. And and even more so, we're going to we're going to work our way up that particular corporate chain. Um so in in North America, the commercial rights holder is Zondervan, which you've if you've looked on the side of your Bible or, you know, uh bought any number of Christian books, you're probably familiar with Zondervan. They are a Christian uh, publishing company located in Grand Rapids, Michigan, according to uh, according to Wikipedia. Also says Zondervan is a founding member of the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association, which I'm sure at the time sounded like a very uh, anodyne or even positive name. But in retrospect, yikes. Not great. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> if Speaking of supervillains, I think... Um, you could do a pretty good uh, villain in a movie where the kind of Legion of Doom version is the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could. But that is not where, where this story ends. Uh, Zondervan is owned by HarperCollins Christian Publishing, Inc., a division of HarperCollins, as you might imagine. HarperCollins, if you go all the way up, is a division of News Corps. Uh -oh. Aha! You may be familiar what else with News does Corps. News Corps own News Corps owns, among other things, the New York Post, Daily Mail, and Fox News. News Corps is owned by one Rupert Murdoch. That's right, Rupert Murdoch owns the commercial Oof. rights to the Bible. Did you misplace? <laughs> did you mispronounce Lex Luthor, Matt? I mean, we've talked a lot about some terrible Christian movies. On this show over the years of every yeah. stripe and and kind of substance. And oftentimes the villains of the piece are like a woman whose marriage isn't working out or a professor. A who, pizza. Yeah. A non-Chick-fil-A style fast fast dining <laughs> restaurant. Um, a cartoonishly evil professor who's making up things that no one's ever actually done. Just the idea of the ACLU, these kind of things. <laughs> no one has made the movie where the the bad guy is the billionaire who bought the Bible and charges <laughs> for the distribution rights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's incredible, man. I shared this when I found it out on, on the social media, I think on Instagram, and multiple people who are fine listeners of the show just responded with some version of, I don't like this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you don't. <laughs> that is, that is not to be liked. That is, 
it is so ham-handed that it almost fits in a Christian movie of we made our own translation of the Bible so that we own it. Are you saying that your friends, Matt, were saying, please, Matt, unsay this, untruth this, please, I can't, I can't. There was a certain amount of, I am worse off for having known this. I was happier before I knew this. How dare you? Um, so again, yeah. I thought I'd inflict that on you, the listening audience, when you were in defenseless and just listening to what we were saying. Well, here's one of the fun details that goes along with this is, to the best of my knowledge, like, I don't think Rupert Murdoch is is a particularly religious person. And I think he's actually pretty creeped out by a lot of um, religious stuff. If rumors are to be believed, he divorced his most recent divorce wife uh, because she uh, said a bunch of religious stuff at a dinner with Tucker Carlson and it creeped Rupert Murdoch out. So he informed her the next day via text that he was divorcing her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- that guy owns the Bible. Yep. That's incredible. Yeah. Again, we've been doing this show. We were talking about this uh, before recording for like 12 years at this point. Um, we've come across a lot of insanity. This is one of the few ones that uh, stopped all three of your intrepid podcast hosts in their tracks. Yeah. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that's pretty amazing, man. But so while we have the, the villain of the piece, I, I turned to Jed Brewer for an idea for the protagonist of the not awful Christian superhero movie, because uh, Jed recently had an idea uh, f- for turning the, the one might say a bit stale superhero genre on its head. And speaking of the gritty reboots, Jed, would you like to share your your groundbreaking new idea for the paradigm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here, here's what I'm thinking, you know, and, and obviously I mean, I, I love, I love gritty characters as much as the next guy. And so here's what I'm saying is I'm talking about a brooding gritty anti-hero with a, a tragic past, but one who recognizes that, you know, getting regular R and R, you know, rest and, and relaxation and levity, that they're an important and essential part of life. And, you know, the thing about important stuff in life is you got to make sure it happens, right? Like you don't, you know, I mean, the, the, the good stuff, you got to work for it, right? And so this guy, he takes extreme measures to make sure that he gets his rest and relaxation, and we call him the Funisher. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like the idea for, again, for making an actual Christian movie, well, like with, as in a, not necessarily meant for the sub-genre of a Christian audience, but having actual kind of Christian themes at its core. So the bad guy being the, the evil billionaire who bought the Bible. But I like the idea of the, the protagonist who took his, his, uh, his pain and his traumatic childhood. And instead of just wandering around beating people up, just worked on himself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Thought about how to be an asset to his community to help people who are hurting. Yeah. Does he still get to have the black t-shirt with the skull on it, but the skull is smiling? Now, this is an amazing question, because this is one of the key things I've been thinking about. The Funisher absolutely wears the black T-shirt, but the question is, what is the emblem? I think the Smiling Skull is really good. I don't know if there's better than that, but that Could there be, like, the, the b- like skeleton bone hands giving, like, the rock horns? Oh, dude, that's, yes. Oh, that's very that could good. be a variation. Yeah, I like that. I definitely like that. Instead of, like, lots of... Uh, like, you know, automatic rifles and stuff like that, that the Punisher would have right. been carrying around in the Marvel comics. Right. Would the, would the Punisher have just like confetti cannons and like, uh, like party noisemakers and uh, like fidget spinners and stuff like that? Just, just stuff that's just fun. I, I think absolutely. It's taking the edge off. Well, and you know, I mean, it, through the years, I mean, the, the Punisher has been drawn by, you know, a lot of different artists and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes he's, he's you know, depicted smoking cigars and, you know, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, like you, you kind of have like the, the arc, you know, that you get again and again, right? It's like, you know, the bad guys are all gathered together doing bad things and he's tracked him down and it's the calm before the storm. Right. And he's you know taking a drag off of his cigarette and they're like, what's that? What's that glowing thing in the distance? Someone's smoking a cigarette. Who's that? Oh no. And then, you know, the, you know, battle erupts. I think we can have a similar dynamic with the Funisher where like, you know, like the, 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 the buzz kills are, you know, hanging out, killing the buzz as they do. 
and they hear footsteps approaching and then they hear kind of a crunching sound like someone's chewing on someone and the camera zooms in and in slow motion he's just eating funyuns oh dude yes dude right funyuns are his batarang (laughs) yes exactly exactly and like when it all goes down it's like he takes that final bite of funyun and there's no more funyuns in his snack size bag and he just crumples it in slow motion <laughs> and throws it on the ground. And that's when it really kicks off. Dude, like a utility belt with like a with like a 20-ounce Fanta <laughs> on there. The most fun of sodas, to be sure. <laughs> no question. Well, here, here's my vision for the Punisher while we're, you know, because I think most people would say a breakthrough for the mar- kind of the dark and gritty Marvel properties was the first season of Daredevil. On like, sure. I guess it was on Netflix at right. the time where they had like the crazy one shot hallway fight where he's just like making his way down the hall. So I'm picturing the Punisher version of that, but it's just him having very light, uplifting conversations with a series of people who are <laughs> coming down the hall at him, but shot with like the same kind of low angle, crunching gravitas. But you see, like, you see people's shoulders kind of drop a little bit and then just kind of feel a little better. And he moves on to the next one seamlessly. dude how about like the funisher like like a whole episode where the funisher has to go to the dmv to get his uh like his driver's license renewed and he like starts a dance party and they're everybody's doing like a line dance to like the cupid shuffle or something like that yeah he makes the dmv like the funnest place in town that day (laughs) to the left to the left (laughs) <laughs> well, I think this is where you can bring it all together because certainly the Funisher's greatest uh, challenge would be when he finds out that Rupert Murdoch owns the Bible. It's one of those right. of like, no, no, that's 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 cool. We can still uh, the Funisher's going to need a minute, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I mean, you got to have your all is lost moment in the narrative. And that's, that's pretty high up there. That's right. That's the end of act two. But he's met his greatest (laughs) challenge. (laughs) Dude, I kind of want a a t-shirt that just says Rupert Murdoch owns the Bible. Wow, man. (laughs) Here's, and this is a very non-Funisher take on things. So I apologize for that. The, The part that's been playing in my head over and over again about this is it's the funniest part to me is that he owns the NIV, yeah. which is a real got to be a real catch 22 for some older Southern Baptist people. Yeah. Cause they want to think that they, they've been on the NIV as the devil for quite a while, but then when it finds out yeah. that apparently the NIV is the official Bible translation of Fox news and its parent corporation, like Rupert Murdoch's not making any money off the King James version, man. Also the NIV was literally developed for how do we translate the scriptures in a way that aids people who are learning English as a second language? That was actually the point of the NIV. Lee, you, you found a fact that made this even more depressing and unsettling. And that's, <laughs> that's impressive in its own way. Okay, well, I, I have something that I think is really delicious and delightful. Okay, have you gentlemen... Let's find out in which, which way Jed is defining delightful here. I, all, all shall be revealed. So... Um, are you guys familiar with a translation from a few years back called the TNIV? No. TNIV. What was the T? Today's NIV. Oh, okay. And so it's an update on the NIV, but one of the key things about, and it would definitely, it's owned by the same people. It would definitely be owned by Murdoch. But um, one of the things, it, it, there's about a 7% change between the NIV and the, and the TNIV. But one of the key things is where they can and where it makes sense. Uh, it, the TNIV uses gender-neutral language. Yeah, that's right. That means it's the woke NIV. Rupert Murdoch Whoa. is woke! And the Funisher is back. Yeah! That's right. He had to go through a dark night of the soul and find a way to find enjoyment in this, and he did. Yeah! Yeah, baby. Boycotting the NIV because it's too woke. <laughs> Almost certainly a thing that has is going to happen soon if it hasn't already. And um, in a world where things like this are just going to keep happening, um, we, we do have to find a way to find some joy in it. And that's yeah. the, the lesson of the Funisher, I think. Absolutely. 
now I'm picturing Punisher with like a a gigantic like sheet cake and and also holding like a, a boom box, like an a nineties style boom boom box playing like a Lizzo track or something like that. And everybody right. just celebrating that Rupert Murdoch's Bible is woke and gender bent. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch, a Rupert Murdoch owned entity consulted the best academics it could find in order to uh, in, in, inject uh, ac- period accurate gender neutral language into a Bible translation. And that's what we call finding the positive. Oh, yeah. yeah. So just you know, bring it all together. I, I, I Googled just like quotes about happiness and enjoyment, and I've been scrolling through trying to find one that the, the Funisher can deliver in kind of the gravel voice. And, and I, I think this one, I, I got two for you because I, I think the second one's even better, but, but here's the first, which apparently comes from John C. Maxwell. Enjoyment is an incredible energizer to the human spirit. <laughs> I, I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. That's like the line that's in the teaser trailer where they don't really show his face until the end. It's just the Funisher logo. This is maybe the best thing of all time. This is a line from Tony Robbins and I, and it feels like a comic book line. Nothing has to happen for me to feel good. I feel good because I'm alive. Life is a gift and I revel in it. With the right delivery, that has a that has a certain Joker feel to it, doesn't it? Also, I don't know. I don't want to tell you how to do your your new job, James Gunn. But uh, Tony Robbins as the Joker, it could go. You could do worse. <laughs> also, uh, but my my thing is with the Funisher quoting, like with Jed being the the voice of the Funisher. There, I'm imagining him loading a T-shirt cannon as he's about to go into a birthday party, about to make everybody's day. He's got like balloon animals everywhere. I mean, oh, this dude, dude. The, the Funisher <laughs> tying balloon animals. Come on, man. It's like the Arnold scene in Commando where he's putting on all the various yes! accoutrements, yes! but it's, yeah, it's, it's balloon animals. It's t-shirt cannons. It's little tchotchkes to hand out to the kids. <laughs> and then just, just like a, a bandolier with a uh, fun size bags of Funyuns. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm here for it, man. I am so ready. Once again, Hollywood, call us when you're ready to not be cowards. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, Marvel's going to be have run through all the other characters that exist, <laughs> and they'll forget. Like Kevin Feige, I think you can convince him that the Punisher's a thing. You'd be like, no, it was in. Amazing Tales, number 728. He'd be like, I guess. I don't. Whatever. Yeah, fine. Greenlight it. Fun. We got Disney money now. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, Iger will cut you a check on the way out. <laughs> Let me have it in six months. And uh, so that's what we'll be pursuing that uh, soon. And on that, we will declare emergency off. We're going to move on now to your fine questions. First one, if you hang on this all the way to the end, I'll use some ways you can touch this or you can scroll in your episode description and click the links you find there. First question comes in and says, is it normal to go through some times when you aren't dealing with doubts or questions with your faith? Does that mean I'm not engaged? A very, a very cool question. And definitely um, a flip side of uh, the kind of thing we get a little more often, but I think a, a very interesting question to dig into and leave where do we start. This is such a cool question. It's such an interesting question. And I think that um, I, I think it, it it exposes something that can happen in Christian culture, which is like coming and going, we feel like we're supposed to feel bad. Yeah. And whether that's, you know, you feel bad for a good reason or you feel bad for a bad reason. And it's like, we can even, uh, we can even promote uh, doubt, which doubt is fine. And doubt is a normal thing to experience as a person of faith. And it's like, we can even say like, well, if you don't feel the doubt anymore, then are you for real, man? And it's like, so now we have a new reason to feel bad. Uh, we have a we have a reason to turn faith, which we've always said is a good thing, uh, into a reason to feel bad about ourselves. 
And that's just that's just a classic kind of like uh we we feel like we need to feel bad. Here's the truth of the situation. You and I and everybody listening to this show and everybody hosting this show are human beings who go through different seasons. Sometimes you go through seasons of plenty, sometimes sometimes you go through seasons of want, sometimes you go through seasons that are tumultuous, sometimes seasons that are peaceful. You're going to f- have moments where you feel doubts. You're going to have moments where you feel certainty. Both of those things are totally fine. The real question is not, is it okay to have doubt um, or is it okay to have certainty? Both things are totally okay. It's it's kind of like the question of like, is it okay to feel anxiety or is it okay to feel afraid? No, look, you're going to feel things. You're going to feel different things. The real and important question is, what do you do with the things that you feel? Okay, so let's dig into that for a second. Let's say that I'm going through a season where I feel a lot of certainty. What would be good things to do with that certainty? And what would be some really crappy things to do with that certainty? Well, let me tell you one thing that would be really crappy to do with that certainty is to throw it in everybody's face who's feeling doubt. You don't want to do that with it. You want to use your certainty to encourage yourself and stuff like that. But if you have a friend who's having a lot of doubts, you don't want to just throw a bunch of verses about all of your certainty and all of that kind of stuff in their face. There's absolutely nothing wrong with not having doubts right now, but you want to stay tenderhearted and compassionate with the people that are close to you who are having doubts. It's the exact same thing with when you're having doubts, you don't want to make somebody that's experiencing surety and certainty feel like they are the false article. Within whether or not you're feeling doubt, whether or not you're feeling certainty, we need to be compassionate listeners to people who are feeling things different than us. The other thing that I would say is with that certainty or with that doubt, always be looking for um, whether or not I'm feeling really great about this, whether or not I'm feeling unsure about this, what is something that I can do in my community or in my neighborhood or in my situation that could help somebody else? This is super duper key. If you're having doubts about your faith in the Lord Jesus, or if you are feeling super duper certain, regardless of those, either of those things, there are things you can do right now to help someone. And that is absolutely true. What would be those things? What are the things that you're led to? What are the things that you're drawn to? What is something that you could do to make the world in a fractional sense, a little bit better place? You can do that in a season of doubt. You can do that in a season of certainty. Look for those things. Be a compassionate listener. Find out how you can help. I think that's a fantastic place to start things off. And Jed, where will we take it from there? Yeah, that's great stuff, man. I'm actually going to return to exactly where where Lee left off. But let's begin by looking at kind of a non-spiritual thing for a second, which is most areas of life exist in seasons, right? So... If you think about, you know, you get some kind of office job, right? You go through a season where you are the new hire and you are just kind of in a spin-up stage and you're just learning and no one really expects you to know how to do anything. Um, And, you know, a lot of your work is about just trying to, you know, keep your head above water and make sure you don't make any massive blunders and try and and meet the various people and get a sense of, of the job requirements. And depending on the person and the job, you know, I mean, that's anywhere from a couple of weeks to a few months where that's, that's the season that you're in. And, you know, in general, no one expects you to be doing anything else during that time. And then you go into a new season where you do know how to do the job now and you know what the job is. And hopefully you do a fairly decent job, fairly consistently. And that's the new season is I'm not brand new, but I've not been here a long time. And I'm just kind of, you know, getting better and better at doing what it is they hired me to do. And it's, it's going, you know, pretty well. And I'm, I'm getting a little bit smarter at it. Then hopefully um, there's a stage where it starts to be looking at, you know, a promotion or advancement. You know, I've kind of proven I can do this and kind of what's my, what's my next challenge. Even if it's not, you know, a title change, there's a little bit more responsibility. It's going to get added. And that's, that's a new season, right? So like it's all one job, but even in your first, 18 months, there are three separate seasons that are happening in this job. And that's totally normal. That's, that's how this works. That's how it's supposed to work. And 
your emotional state and your emotional needs are going to be different in each of these. Like if you think about it, right, like when you're the brand new guy and it's your first couple weeks on the job, a lot of people are pretty nervous about starting a new job. And it's like, man, I hope I hope I make a good impression and I hope I fit in. I hope they like me. I hope this job isn't a mistake. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you, you get used to it and you know how to do it. It's a very different emotional state. You move on to you've been doing it a while and maybe you need some more responsibility and maybe, you know, we're looking for a promotion. That's completely different emotional state of like, you know, have I really, you know, uh, made a good enough impression that it's time for me to ask? And should I should I be patient? Should I be bold? Blah, blah, blah. Your emotions in each of these seasons vary what it looks like to engage in each of these seasons vary. And here's the key thing. None of this is inherently good or bad. It's not inherently good or bad to be the new guy at the job. It's not inherently good or bad to be the really experienced guy that probably should be looking for more responsibility or maybe, you know, kind of the next, the next challenge. That's just normal. It's not, it doesn't have an inherently good or inherently bad. It's just, it's just normal. The question becomes, are you being clear with yourself about the season that you're in? And are you engaging with it in a responsible way? If you roll in in your first two weeks in the job and you're demanding a promotion, that is not a responsible way to handle that job. Not not in, in most office contexts anyway. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm amazing. If you've had the job for 24 months and your boss is regular, like, you know, it maybe it'd be time to think about it. maybe some new responsibilities, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, I can barely handle what I have. I will probably screw it up any minute now. That's that's not healthy engagement in that season, right? So it all comes down to knowing the season that you're in and figuring out how do I engage in a healthy and responsible way given the season that I'm in. Now let's turn around and go back to where Lee left us off into the spiritual stuff. What does it look like for you to live out your faith in the season of life that you are in? What does that look like? There's not necessarily a right or a wrong answer. It will almost certainly, just as Lee said, revolve around service. Because that that actually is, in general, the proper living out of the Christian faith. What what is available to you? What what is before you? What do you want to do? What is your what's in your heart to do? What is the Lord leading you to do? But then, what are the problems that are in the way? Maybe those are doubts. Maybe they're logistical problems. Maybe it's you know, I really have a heart to do this certain kind of, of serving people, but there's just not a lot of good opportunities to do that around here. Um, maybe it's. I think the following thing would be a good idea, but the denomination I'm a part of doesn't like it and, and, and doesn't much care for it. And it could also be a thing of doubts like in this season, like I, I want to figure out how to love my faith, but man, I got a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. These can all be totally normal depending on the season, and it becomes just a question of are you engaging with these things in a healthy way? There's not – no one season in your life is going to be just like any other season in your life. That's okay. But being present where you are, figuring out what the challenges are, but also what the opportunities are in the season in which you find yourself, that's that's how we find the good stuff. That's how we grow. That's how we find opportunities to to help other people. And it's worth figuring out how to be present with the good stuff and the bad stuff in the season that you are in. It's great stuff from both of these guys. Um, I, I will tie this back to a question we talked about last week where the idea of bad things happening and why that is. One of the things that generally I think is true and has been true for me and I think for most people, when you're not going through a big, not wrestling with a lot of doubts, not wrestling with a lot of things, that maybe you're just in kind of a a general stasis period in your life and that's, that's a thing to be enjoyed. That's not a thing to be worried about. As we mentioned, kind of in, as both these guys mentioned, we talked about that question last week, plenty of bad things will happen. You don't have to bid them to come into your life. <laughs> um, so there's nothing wrong with a, a time of stability and a time where things are maybe a little bit easier and you're not really being forced to ask any questions or deal with things now. As these guys are saying, that doesn't mean you can't grow or serve in those areas of life. It's just coming from a different kind of place. And again, as we were talking about previously, there's going to be plenty of the other. So we don't need to worry when we're having the, the relatively easy time that is to be enjoyed. And hopefully there'll be more of those times to come. So it's a great thing that you're engaging with how to think about how to, how to continue to grow and engage in those times as well. 
we're going to jump to our next question here. It comes in, and actually, this one ties into the emergency in a lot of ways, in a way that uh, we try to avoid normally. Uh, question comes in and says, how do I balance keeping up with the news and not just being angry and sad all the time? So maybe you, maybe one of your answers is, I tune into my favorite podcast. They have some fun. Oh, now I know a thing I can never unknow. Well, you know, that's, that's just how the dice rolls some weeks. Sorry about that. But it is, it is a great question. I, I think we, in previous times and eras, maybe even on this show, people preach the, oh, well, you know, you just got to turn it off and, you know, unplug. And I, I, I wonder, Lee, if we're getting to a point in life where that's not as much of a long-term solution because there are things going on in state legislatures in areas like that, where it, as people who want to stand for the things we, we talk about wanting to stand for and want to uh, serve the world in the way that Jesus calls to, there's stuff that we should be aware of that we should uh, know about. If we want to reach out to uh, communities that are uh, impacted by it, if we want to know how uh, people, people in marginalized groups are feeling about things and we do need to be aware of a certain amount, but there is gotta be a limit to how much time we time and energy we spend on that versus other things. How do we go about dialing that in? That's a really, really good uh, question. And I think there's a couple of things that we need to remember and know from the outset. And it is interesting. You think about (laughs) the the emergency section and the NIV being owned by a gigantic uh, news conglomerate that is terrifying but going back to that you need to start here and remember that wherever you get your news they are a business businesses want to make money businesses sell advertising they present information in a certain way and a lot of them want you to be, uh, they do a lot of sensationalism. They want you to be afraid. They want you to feel dependent on the way they roll out stories. So this is breaking news and this is a developing story and you need to keep coming back here and coming back here and coming back here. Don't turn it off. Stay engaged. All of that stuff. I think that Matt's right. In the world that we live in, if we want to make, I mean, Jed said it in, in his response to the last answer. The, the best way for us to live out a, a relationship or a faith in Jesus is to be of service in our community, especially to those who are mistreated or underrepresented or, you know, oppressed in any way and that kind of thing. And to be aware of those things, we're going to have to be engaged at some level with news and what's going on in the world. Again, all of these, all of these outlets are businesses who are trying to make money. And they're trying to make money off of you. You have to keep stuff like that in mind. One of the things that I think is really important is learning how to be um, learning how to be aware and cognizant of your own mental health and the way that your own mental health is impacted by the way that you take in what's going on in the world. There are lots of things that you can do to be a help and to be of service in your local community in ways that are real, in ways that actually make an impact, in ways that actually change people's lives, where you don't have to take in the absolute humongous swath of, uh, you know, what is from a lot of sources just a lot of ridiculous information from people that are trying to sell advertising and keep you engaged. Um, One of the questions that I would ask for whatever community I live in is how can I be of service to people in my community who are underserved? And in order to answer that question, what are the things that I need to know? How can I find out that information And where, by the way, when it comes to like things like politics and stuff like that, how does my vote most impact the issues that I care about and the issues that are important for me? I will tell you that the the most helpful thing that I have learned in that particular question over the last like five, six, seven years is, and this is going to change for some communities, but if you are an American citizen... This is probably going to be true of you no matter where you live. 
the most important place that I can place a vote is in the uh, the local election for the district attorney. Yep. That is not a super sexy election. That is not the presidential election. It's not going to be the one that gets the most news coverage and stuff like that. You're going to have to do your homework. You're going to have to do some reading to find out what is the character and what are the policies and what is the philosophy of the person who is the district attorney in my community. But if you want to have an impact with a ballot that you cast that is going to affect justice, that is going to affect people's lives in your community, that's where you need to put your research is who is running and who gets to be the district attorney for my community. Outside of that, I would look into who is uh, serving in nonprofit organizations that serve uh, women who have been uh, victims of domestic abuse and women who have been uh, victims of violence in my community. Then after that, I would start looking into homelessness. All these things to say, you can have a gigantic impact in your community with a little bit of research and with a little bit of uh, a few phone calls and emails and visit a few organizations. And that doesn't mean that you have to turn on a giant cable news uh, TV channel and take in everything that they have to say. Again, these are businesses. They want you to be afraid. You don't have to fall for their trap, but you can have a gigantic impact as a person of faith in your local community with engaging probably with a few people who are not paid very well, who live within maybe a 10 or 20 minute drive from your house. I think it's a really fantastic place to start that off. I would add in there, not only our news sources, businesses, but uh, things like social media platforms are businesses. Yep. So even if you are getting the sort, the actual content creator is someone you, you agree with, or you think does a good job. The platform itself's main goal is to keep you on the platform. So it is pushing certain things. People who make, make their living on that platform are conforming to certain things. And, and none of that is driven towards the idea of you saying, I have all the information I need. I will now go on about my life and not be <laughs> looking at this side anymore. So it is important to keep in mind those kind of structures and, and the goals of those types of people and those types of, of businesses, which are just going to be the filter through which we get information. That's just kind of the system we've been dealt at this point in time. So uh, Jed, with all that said, where would we close this out? This is all really, really good stuff. I, I think it's worth looking kind of in the spirit of, you know, both the, the news organizations and the aggregators want to, you know, this is a business for them. Not only do they just want to keep you watching and keep you clicking, right? Like they, they don't have any interest at all in what is beneficial to you or even what is fun for you, right? So if we look at something outside of music, outside of news for a second, like I love music, man. Like I really, really do. The way that I want to listen to music is to take one record and do nothing else and just sit down and put it on and just listen really closely to it for, for the length of that record. That is not Spotify's business model. No, that is not what they want. They want me to have this running in the background everywhere I go 24 hours a day. I don't like consuming music that way. That's not like, I don't, I don't get to appreciate the music in the way that I want to. I don't get to enjoy it in the way that I want to. It's just, it's not my thing, but that, that is their business model. And that's what they want to see happen. So there's a similarity where, um, you know, for a lot of people, news is a form of entertainment. And so, um, it's not about for, for them, the thing that is the most useful to you or even the most fun for you. It's just the thing that, that pays the bills. I think that it's important to be clear with yourself. Why are you reading the news? Because people read the news for all kinds of reasons. Uh, for some people, it is 100% entertainment. Um, for some people, it's I want to be an informed citizen. For some people, it's I want to look for areas where advocacy is needed, just like Lee's talking about. Uh, for some people, it's kind of, well, I, you know, I have a general interest in current affairs. That's kind of a, a high-minded bit of, of you know, entertainment. For some people, they're just looking to get pissed off. Like rage porn is a thing, dude. Um, there are a lot of people on this here internet who are just looking to be mad about something all day, every day. Mm. But it's important to be clear on your goal because if you know what your goal is, then you can kind of figure out how to measure your outcomes, right? Like 
if your goal is, it's just kind of entertainment for me. Like I've definitely had periods in my life where I would flip and, and read news as a form of entertainment. If you're not having fun anymore, then we've passed the entertainment stage, right? Like if, if this has gone from, you know, a, a break to kind of clear my brain from the next task I need to do to it's kind of bumming me out. Well, that's not, that's not entertainment anymore. Um, if you're coming from a place of, you know, I want to be involved in advocacy and I need to keep abreast of what's going on. You can do that pretty darn fast, man. You know, I mean, like, um, you can, you can read pretty quickly and have a sense of, of what's going, what's going on and, and what the deal is. And I love what Lee said about kind of being aware of your own mental health. We, we live in a time right now and, and I don't know how long this will be true, but it is true today where. There is a lot of really, really bad news all the time. Like the world is on fire everywhere you turn all the time. And I don't think there's a human being on this planet that has the mental or emotional makeup to just bathe in that 24 hours a day. I don't think there's anybody who can take that and not be negatively impacted by it. Not even the Funisher could handle all of the rage. <laughs> His greatest challenge. One of the things that um, you know, I'm super blessed, I'm super fortunate to to get to work with. I am not a mental health expert, but I'm I am blessed and fortunate to get to collaborate with a lot of people that are. And one of the things that that comes up for all kinds of difficult life moments is the idea of scheduling time in your day to deal with this negative thing. So grief work, I'm, I'm setting time aside to deal with my grief for folks who live in very volatile environments, worry time. I'm setting time in my day aside to deal with the fact that I am super anxious and super worried you know, based on the situation that I, I find myself in. But the reason I bring this up is no one can grieve 24 hours a day and no one can just process the weight of crushing anxiety 24 hours a day, and no one can deal with the world falling apart 24 hours a day. There may be good reasons why keeping abreast of current affairs is an important part of your life, but you're going to have to find a proportion for you that isn't ruining your will to live. Um, again, most of the places that you would find whatever your flavor is, most places you'd find news online, they want to keep you on that website or on that network or, or whatever it is. And you are very much going to have to um, set your own limits on that. But I want to mention one more thing that Lee brought up and, and really enforce it and really encourage you on it. This has been an interesting last year in my life. It's the most I've ever been involved in political advocacy. And it's been a very good thing. I'm very glad to have, have been a part of it. The, the stuff that I've been a part of has all been kind of local and county and state level. Um, and here's the thing is if you want to get up in that fight, you can do it tomorrow. There's no one that's going to keep you from doing that. Yep. If you if you want to be involved in criminal justice reform or making sure that you know, uh, children in your area have more to eat or whatever, pick your pick your cause. There's a lot of good ones. You can start doing that tomorrow. There aren't any gatekeepers, man. Um, you can get involved. You can get after it. And you can get access to way more people than you would think. Like, it's easy to feel like our political system is, you know, the the who's who and everybody else. And, and maybe at the very, very top of the federal level, that's true. But it's not true at the local level at all. And it's not true at the state level at all. If you want to get involved and you want to make a difference, I promise you, you can absolutely do that. But the other thing that you'll find is it eats time. Um, and you probably don't have enough time to be worried about the news all day and to be trying to do something about the news all day. And I definitely want to strongly encourage you, if you got to pick one, focus on doing something about the news rather than worrying about the news. That was awesome. Very, very well put. Um, one, one thing I would add on to the, the great stuff these guys gave you is – and it kind of goes along to exactly what Jed is saying there of, you know, how are you taking this in? Why are you taking this in? If your goal is to be informed, which is good. Um, and I, th I think that's a positive thing. Th you can hit that point pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and you, you can also put a screen for what is giving me more information. Uh, you know, is the headline enough? Do I need to read down to the article? Do I need to click on a video? Here, here, here's a, a, a genre of kind of news item that I have just 
done my best to totally pull out of my consumption, which is you wouldn't believe what this person said. <laughs> yeah, I there are a certain number of pundits and Congress people and candidates and whatever that I think are idiots and I disagree with on everything. And I don't want to know what they said. Yeah. If they pass a bill that does something awful. Okay. I, I don't want to know about that either really, but it's, I, I think it is worth knowing about that. But this person in a congressional subcommittee said this crazy thing that's not attached to you. I don't, nothing about that's going to make me more informed. Nothing about that's going to influence the world or help me influence the world in the way these guys are talking about. And it is worth pointing that also one thing, and this, this is just me, but it may help you if you need to, if you find the need to lower your blood pressure, I do not watch videos of news. Yeah. Same here. I don't watch videos of people talking about it. I don't watch videos of the, of the, the testimony. I don't want to hear Marjorie Taylor Greene say the thing. If it's information I need, I will read the writing of it because that's the information, the, the editing and the video and the cut and the, these people's stupid voices, that's all meant to make me angry and it does it very well. So I try to cut that out. So uh, there's a lot of ways that information is trying to get to you. The simplest way and the way that, you know, an app or an algorithm is pushing may not be the best way for you. So in the areas you do have control over that, it's important to control what you can for your own sanity. We're moving on to our, our final question here. It comes in and says, I grew up in an environment where negative emotions were rarely talked about. How do I learn to express those feelings as an adult in a healthy way? And I think another very, very cool question that that gives us uh, some really interesting ways to go with that. And Liam, where would we start off? Um, yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to say, I'm, you know, as a person who also grew up in a house like that, I'm sorry that you're going through that. I, I, I grew up in a house it's where... It's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're fine. Everything's cool. You don't need a band-aid. You don't have to be sorry for it. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's what it is. It's fine. It's cool. I'm good. Yeah. It's like, you, you, uh, you know what? Don't, don't cry. We'll give you something to cry about. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's just a crappy thing. It's like you, you, um, in that situation, you don't get to be a whole person. So I'm sorry you came up in a, in a situation like that. I, I would say this. Um, I think that the journey is going to start. I've just got some really practical stuff on this. The journey is going to start with awareness. And I've actually talked to some licensed professional counselors about this exact thing with some people that, that I've worked with as a pastor. And, um, I had a licensed professional counselor tell me that when she, um, uh, you know, is, is working through therapy with people who really don't know how to process their own negative emotions because they weren't basically allowed to have any. Um, and that, that is a thing that happens quite a bit actually. Um, that the place that she starts with with those kinds of you know with those kinds of folks is just um like doing something practical to increase awareness so for instance um literally setting random phone alarms throughout the day to stop what you're doing for 3 to 5 minutes and have a like a feelings check in what are some things that I have felt in the last two hours since the last time that phone alarm went off? I'm going to take a break like somebody back, you know, in the day would take like a smoke break from their work. And I'm just going to reflect back and say, what are some things that I experienced? What are some things that I felt? There may be some positive emotions. There may be some negative ones, but we have to start with awareness. I felt sad or I felt embarrassed or I felt, um, awkward in these conversations. And, and this therapist told me I would literally just have that person log these things, journal them. I felt these emotions at this time. These were negative and these were positive, whatever. Then after doing that for a while, then we go to the next step, which is when we would have those feelings check-ins, we would take a step back and say, is there anything that happened before that emotion that may or may not have led to that emotion. I felt feelings of embarrassment. That happened right after that one meeting that I was in with my team 
when when so and so from accounting said this thing and it made me felt it made me feel unprepared in front of the entire team and there therefore I felt embarrassed so now we are associating some emotions that I'm feeling with some uh with some possible causes now I'm starting to maybe see some patterns in what happens and then the last stage is now what do we do about those feelings Again, this is all super, super practical stuff, but these are things that have actually helped me after coming up, uh, being raised in an environment where, like Matt was demonstrating earlier, you're fine. Everything's fine. You don't need to cry. You don't need a Band-Aid. You don't need to talk about it. Everything's fine. When you, when you get that kind of an attitude uh, pressed into your, into your head, into your heart, the place that you need to start is... I just need to start taking uh, a survey, raising some awareness of the, the emotions that I feel throughout the day. Then I need to backtrack and figure out what happened that may have led to those things. And now I can start figuring out what to do with those emotions. So again, that's real practical stuff, but it's a good place to start. Absolutely right. And Jed, where do we close this out? And that's great stuff, man. Well, I definitely agree for sure. You know, if this is where you're at, I think talking to a therapist is a great idea. Uh, and they would love to talk to you. And if you're not sure how to find a therapist, if you're not sure you can afford a therapist, um, reach out to us. We'd love to help you find um, a, a low-cost sliding scale uh, situation wherever you're located. I totally agree with the stuff that Lee is saying. And here's an interesting thing, and I, I think it, it goes to your to your question, right? With um, with storytelling, um, like if you're like writing a book or something, you know, you're working on your novel. Um, it's been said, and I have found it extremely true that when you're telling a story, you tell it first to yourself so that you know what the story is, and then you tell it to everybody else. Um, you know, most things are written at least twice and the first draft is for you and the second draft is for everybody else. And for what it's worth, like, that's not just like with stories, like I almost, I've written a lot of songs in my life. Almost every song I write, I write it first for me where I know what the song is. And then I basically write the song again for everybody else. That's, that's absolutely true. Here's why that matters. A lot of what Lee is talking about is you coming to terms with your own negative feelings being able to explain to yourself, I have these negative feelings and that's okay. And here's where they're coming from. And here's, here's what I'm dealing with. And then kind of the second stage is how do I talk to other people about these negative feelings that I have? How do I talk to a spouse or a friend or a coworker or a colleague or whatever in an effective way about the fact that I do have some negative feelings? Because part of what happens when you grow up in that environment is if you're not really allowed to have those feelings and you don't really ever express them, you don't know how to talk to yourself about them and you don't know how to talk to other people about them. And it kind of becomes a bit of a, a twofer, which is, man, that's not fun at all. Talking about anything with other human beings is a skill that you learn over time. Part of what makes, for example, financial advisors good at their job is they know how to talk about money with other people. They also know things about money, so that's good, but they know how to talk about money with other people. The guy that runs the auto shop near you, he knows a lot of stuff about cars, but he also knows how to talk about cars with other human beings. That's It's a big, big part of the job is being able to communicate effectively. The reason that's important is skills are things that you learn over time. No one jumps from, I have almost no ability to communicate my feelings to other people to, I'm a master at it. Like No one jumps and one go, from one to the other, but you can build, you can go from, I have almost no idea how to communicate even with my friends about how I'm feeling too. Well, I did a little bit. I, I went from zero to kind of sort of, you know, letting people in on how I'm doing and, and they're, they're understanding that. And this is great. And so giving yourself permission to be bad at it as you're learning how to do it is a big part of how you get good at anything. And it's a big part of how you get good at this, if you've never really talked to other people about your feelings in general or even certain kinds of feelings, it is going to feel super, super awkward to do it. But it's also super important to learn how to do it. Something we've not talked about this on the podcast in a while, but th there's a, a an analogy here that, that's worth looking at. If you are, for example, if you're married, you and your spouse need to be able to talk about your sex life. 
Like you absolutely positively need to be able to talk about your sex life and talking openly about sex with other people. If you've not done it before, feel kid, feel super weird and super awkward. But the way that you get better at it is you, you keep talking about it. You, you keep talking about it and then you get more comfortable with it and you learn how to talk about it in a way that's effective and you learn how to talk about it in a way that's, that's true to you as a person. And so it feels authentic. And then it kind of, you feel like you're starting to get the hang of it. It it's the same thing with learning how to talk about your feelings is you learn how to have that conversation with different kinds of people and, and different degrees of transparency that are appropriate depending on, on the situation. Like think for a second, if you had like a colleague at work and you're having kind of a rough day and they said, Hey, it seems like you're kind of having a rough day. Are you doing okay? There is an authentic, but appropriate level of discourse there that would be different from one of your closest friends in the world saying, dude, you look down. Are you doing all right? Learning how to have both of these conversations is an important and good and worthy thing, and you'll learn it over time. The more that you challenge yourself to take little steps out of your comfort zone and speak your truth and let people in, the better and more comfortable you're going to get at it. It's worth doing. Keep your head up, man. We're proud of you. That's absolutely right. I would quickly add to that. Um, Also, part of being new at something and being okay to be bad at something is it being okay for it to feel weird yes. and you to feel uncomfortable with it. That does not mean you are not meant to do that. That does not mean this is something you should run away from. As a matter of fact, if you stick with it and do these kind of exercises and work through the being uncomfortable, that is in and of itself something to celebrate. That is a great yeah. first step. I am uncomfortable, but I ca- I did it anyway is how most things start as opposed to I did it and I was great at it. And I <laughs> loved the experience of this new dealing uh-huh. with negative emotions. I'm much more likely to that was uncomfortable and I didn't do it for very long and I don't ever want to do it again, but I might. That's where progress starts in a lot of ways. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. want to keep that entirely anonymous. Take you out of the song this week. This is from Lee. And it's called I Am Free. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. You made my heart.